Welcome along to the Rocky Road Boxing Podcast with me, your host, Kevin Byrne. Today's guest is coming up on 10 years as a pro, but in that time, he's had just 20 fights. Former two-weight world champ, Carl Frampton, who's been in with one or two bangers in his day, says no one hit him harder. He is the current British super featherweight champion and is hoping and praying for a world title shot next year. Until he gets there, some may feel his talent has been unfulfilled. In my opinion, he is the best Irish boxer that nobody really knows outside of the hardcore fans. Yet for Anthony Kakacha, a dad of three who hails from Belfast, he might even prefer it that way. An Irish man with links to Italy through his father, he even spent time boxing out of Philadelphia. So he's truly been on the rocky road to get to this stage of his career. Anto, welcome to the show. How's it going? How's the body? Thank you very much, Kevin. Thanks for the invite. Uh, the, body's, the body's okay. Um, just recovering now, you know, the last couple of weeks from a couple of wee niggles and whatever from the British title defence will be stuck. But oh, given time, we'll be good and ready to rock. Because you, you hurt his hands. You, you landed so many clean punches on his head. And in one of your best career performances, yeah. that you ended, up, you ended up injuring yourself. As happens when you kind of can tee off on a guy. Did that fight... Uh, go above and beyond your expectations or would you have liked to have get, gotten them out of there? How, how um, did you feel it went? I, I felt it went it went okay considering, you know, the length of time out of the ring and, and the length of time, you know, switching coach and, you know, going into training camp, everything being new. Uh, it, it went great. I feel like my job, the way I worked my job that fit was perfect. Um, I feel like my boxing was great, but the one thing that I, I was disappointed in, I watched it back after. It's like, you know, I, feel, I think only the fighters know what it's like. I know I could have, have, have stopped that kid, but in my own head, I was working off, you know, Jesus, will, will I throw a combination here or will I, will I tear out? You know, I have six weeks preparation here. Before that, it was, you know, it was near retired. I was working away with, with young Michael and, and whoever else doing me bits here and there. It was like, so I regret I regret not just standing up that wee bit extra and getting them out of there because I know I know I could have, but it was a good performance and and people seem to be impressed by it. So I mean it stands me well. Yeah, absolutely. You scored a knockdown with a kind of corkscrew left uppercut, left hook. Like tell us about that shot. Where did it come from? Yeah, it was nice. That was a nice shot. Uh, it was something that I've actually been working on a lot. And I was actually working on it a lot. During that camp, was setting it up with the set up with the job. As he comes, you, you meet him with the right hand, and you drive it up the middle. And it just so happened that he was in perfect range, you know. I, I threw the job, I had him a nice job. He committed with his job. I threw the right hand and, and boom, and he was just a perfect shot. Yeah. It, he had balls of steel to get up from it. And I suppose after the fight, like like always, there's a mutual respect because it was getting tetchy in the build up to that because you and Woodstock had supposed to fight about 37 times, I think, at that stage. It was cancelled with COVID, with different injuries, different postponements. Um, so I'd say by the time you got in the ring, you each wanted to rip each other's head off. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I wanted to go in and, uh, and get my good head. Um, it, wasn't, it wasn't that. I have a lot of respect for, for Woodstock as a fighter now and as a person. You know, and he's a family man. And I, I like to see it. He's, he's out fighting for... Uh, fighting the, Put food on the table for his young daughter, and, and it's, I respect that. But you know, during during the whole build up and things weren't happening for me, I had a couple of setbacks personally. And at the time he was coming and, and writing messages at the very wrong time in my life to be sending me stupid shit like this about boxing when other things were going on that boxing was 
put to the back burner. So he just he added the fuel. He he just kept adding and adding to it. So essentially, he himself that beating himself. You know, <laughs> he talked himself into that beating. Yeah. That is, you know, that is what it is. Would you mind? Can you share what was going on in the last year or two? What was what was difficult? Just stop and start. Mainly family things and that things and that. Just just things not going right. And I suppose maybe I took them. I I took it a bit bad, but it is uh, just personal things. Not nothing crazy really. Um. So you're a dad of three. You have a lot of responsibility on your shoulders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Three three young children of a of a thirteen year old girl, Arkila, of a a five year old boy, Killian, and of my wee two year old at the minute, Arriva. So they're keeping me on my clothes well and truly. Yeah, it must be di- it must be difficult to find time to even live the life of a professional athlete. I'd say it's difficult to find the li- time to live the life of an amateur athlete. So to compete at British title level and look for a world title. All the while, are you are you still working on the side? You've done some amount of jobs over the years as well. You were yeah. you were uh, you know delivering pizzas and everything at one stage. Yeah, as as it stands, and I'm I'm not one to uh, I'm not above anything. Uh, you know, if if there's work there and it doesn't, if it's scraping shade of the floor, it's it's scraping shade of the floor. I'll do it. If it's paying me and it's, and it's putting food on the table, but got, got me through college, scraping shite off the floor. Yeah, that was, my, that, that was my job on a farm for a couple of years. So. Oh, yeah. they pay the bills. They pay the bills. <laughs> really? like, I mean, I can get through it. But um, yeah, I've been a bouncer. I've been a gardener. I've been a painter. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fully qualified plaster. I've been everything. It's like you know, I'll do anything that, that, that gets me by. So, if you're a fully qualified plaster, like you must have spent a lot of time learning the trade. Um, was that in your future at one stage? But was boxing just? I suppose when you're an amateur, did you not have a vision of going pro and? You were going to become a plasterer. Yeah, yeah. See, as, as an amateur, I have a lot of, I have a lot of regrets. I will get on to that. Back in the amateur days, it's like I just never took anything serious. You know, I look at, I look at lads now, you know, who are sitting, you know, not, 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 not jealous or anything like that. Just, just wishing that my mindset was where it is now, back then, because I think that uh, things that could have been really different for me and my family. Do you feel like you have the sort of talent that could have made you a world famous kind of person through boxing? I, I believe, I believe so. I, I, I don't want to sound cocky or or anything like that, but it was like if I could do all that with twenty percent, what can I do with a hundred? So that's just that's just the way I feel about it. I, I feel like I've got the, the tools to, to mix it at world level, at amateur pro or whatever. I mean, I've been in with all all types of fighters. I mean, I've fought in Billy Joe's. I'm just talking over over the years. Billy Joe Saunders. I, I can name blame off a few names, good names, um, who have made who made a lot for themselves, but through choices and and the way you're leading your life, I suppose. Uh, what way did you lead your life? Just. What whatever happens happens. Kind of never really plans for anything. Just just winged it. If I'd be honest, <laughs> like I mean, I always knew I wanted to fight. It was just I didn't know what I wanted more. You know, the 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 go the to be an ordinary man or to be exceptional. Was it just um like finding like drinking as a young lad, or was it a bit more like was it like no was no it like, more than that? there goes. You'll hear these stories about 
meat drinking and uh, as a kid and whatever. It's not true. It's not true. Like, I mean, here be all right. Well, it was 15, there was 18. I went out and had a kayak the weekend with my mates away the way everyone did. And mm. I lived that life. But I don't drink. I, I don't have a social life. I mean, my my life is my children. And apart from when when I when my children are sorted, I, I train. And and that's it. I, I, other other than that, I don't go out. I, I don't have much friends. I don't spend much time with people. You know, I've 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 a, a, a handful of mates. You know, we met a hot ones junior, a couple of my neighbours. It's a, I'm a simple guy. You know, I, I was never an alcoholic. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the the other children's mums and dads, they're your pals now. I say. Yeah, 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 yeah. How so, did how, how did your family um uh, like how did the Italian side of your family end up in Belfast? What's the backstory there? Um. My mum, my mum, years ago, she would have, I think, actually about 17 or 18. Um, she would have went traveling with her friend. Uh, her friend was called on. And um, it's a funny story here. But actually, it's Marvel. But um, so her and Anne went and she met my father and Anne met her husband. And they were married and the kids. And then they both, they both she, Anne stayed in Italy and she came home to Ireland, which a bit of a crappy decision. Like I would have much rather. But yeah, it was crazy. And it actually turns out now that my mum, the, the, the girl on who went away the other day with my mum, her sons actually sponsored me with now. Her son, Christian Nikos, do you ever Nikos pizza and pasta? Yeah, I heard of it. He, yeah, yeah. he actually sponsors me now and, and looks after me, him and Stephen. So, the funny one's funny. That's an incredible the way it came about, yeah. So yeah, so that, how did your dad find Belfast? When did he, what year did he move over? Do you know? So at the start of your life, was it about 32, 35 years ago thereabouts or? So, something like that. I think it was, it would have been, you know, the 60s. Wasn't it? Or, or 70s? Early 70s? Well, are you the oldest in your family? I suppose you can work back through process of elimination. No, no, no. My sister, my sister, she's, she's 39. Okay, so, so he moved here in uh, possibly 1980 or 1990. I, <laughs> I don't know what. Not to be dismissive of Belfast, like a wonderful city, a lot of friends from Belfast, but was he crazy moving over to Belfast in 1980? I, I say to him all the time, what have you done? What did you do? Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> over there, the sun, the beaches, the, the lifestyle. Don't get me wrong, I love Belfast, but I mean, it's frigging freezing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so let, let's. My my dad, yeah, you ever get speaking to my dad? He speaks like he's from Andy Town with a twang of Italian, you know. Uh, it's a funny wee accent, but my, my dad, he's a legend. He does a lot for me, so he does. And was it um, was it always boxing for you as a young lad, or did you play other sports as well? Uh, I played I played football. I played for Celtic Boys. Uh, I was actually I was a good footballer too. Um, I had to make a choice, probably around fourteen when. I got the invitation to go on the, the, the Irish squad. And so I would have played football on a Saturday. And that was on a Saturday. And my mom, I was never really, I was never really smart or like academic. Any, you know, it was never great at school. So my mom knew, like, you know, from 15 that I was going to be a fighter. And, and that's what she done. Like, I didn't do my, she took me out of my, some of the GCSEs just to cut, I went to European Championships and missed my GCSEs. And that's, 
That's where my school life was heading. <laughs> you had to make it then. Who was it? You had to make something. Had to do something. Who was involved in the Irish setup when you went down at first? Was it an intimidating setup, or were you, you know, pretty? You had that Belfast uh, confidence coming down to Dublin. No, I, I wouldn't be that type of person anyway. I, I'd be a nervous, shy enough guy. The back then when I was when I was a child as well. I was, I was nervous. I remember going down. It was Billy Walsh, and I, I think the Cuban coach was just leaving. That's how long. That's, that's a long time ago. Or he was on the or just left. And um, yeah, Billy Walsh and Zard then came in. And uh, yeah, it was Dalton, like a uh, kid being down there, you know. But, but again, a real good experience. And, and I, I grew a lot through it, you know. But yeah, it was it was a Dalton experience, but one that I'll, I'll cherish forever. And what what lads were on the team that you did? What, what championships do you remember going away to? And I'm sure yeah. like every Irish boxer who's ever been on a trip away has a great story from one of Oh, there's so many stories, but I don't want to be great for podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's uh, I, I would have I would have been close with John Joe Nevin, Mark McCulloch, Colin Sheehan, and um, Michael Collins. Like yeah, these are all that's the type of squad that I was going away with all the time, and we were very successful at the time too as well. So all the lads, there uh, are some crack away with them boys. Alter boys, one and all. Huh? See, uh, a bunch of altar boys, one and all. Oh, altar boys. <laughs> you see, story, stories like uh, that you haven't revealed just yet. Our white podcasts exist, in my yeah. opinion. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's it's just there was some funny times over the years on the other ice team. Uh, some of the stories are just nuts. Back home in Belfast, you were coached by. Did you start off with Patsy McCallister? Um, Patsy McAllister ended up going to the Trinity, working with Mickey Hawkins, and was there any other clubs in between? Any other people? I don't know. That was it. No, I, I started out like. Like Michael Hawkins, he's one of the best mates. Like he understands it. Was like Plunkett was and Patsy, you know, I love, love, love them dearly. Like, like I mean, I'm a Plunkett man. I spent time in Holy Trinity as well. Mickey looked after me very well. Like, like Holy Trinity speaks for itself. The champions and you know and Olympians. Uh, it's insane. It's insane the the level of you know the level of fighting that goes on there. Um, but I'm a plunker man through and through, and Patsy McAllister. He was like a father to me growing up through the, the amateurs. You know, I think I won six or seven nice titles with Patsy. You know, Oliver Plunker had some memories there, along with other some other pros as well. Tommy McCarthy, he was there at the time. Tyrone McKenna. There's a few more. Eamon Finnegan. There were lots more. No, it was it was a great week squad. Yeah. And uh, and of course the Trinity also has such a history as well, a good finishing skill there too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's where I finished off, and picked, that's where I picked up a jacket. <laughs> what, what was um, what was your inspiration to turn professional? Obviously, you were a dad at that stage. Your first daughter had been born, and was it just the motivation? Um, I, I'm not feeling the plastering, or what was it? Well, what happened was I wasn't plastering at the time. Was I had served a certain time plastering from I was seventeen to I was about twenty, twenty-one, and um, then it turned out like that was the stage of where all the work was drying up and and there was people not working and all. And there was the building sites were empty, so I had to go. As again, I only had a, had a two-year-old daughter. I was I was twenty years of age. I had to go and work on subway, so I went and was working away in subway for. Three years alongside another professional athlete, Raymond Gidley. And um, yeah, and then it all it all came from there. I was, I was absolutely 
broke. I was working 60 hours a week. I mean, I was working 60 hours a week and I felt like like once I gave my money into the house, you know, I, I couldn't put petrol in the car. You know, and it was it was driving me crazy. I had I had a few people come in the subway and say, you know, why are you not boxing? What are you doing? It's a waste of time. And then all of a sudden, one day, I'm sure you know uh, you you heard them, the late Paul McCulloch and Sean McCulloch. One yeah, day. I remember the boys. Yeah, I remember. The, I remember uh, you starting off your career with them. That's right. At, at Glen or at the Emerald Emerald Promotions, they were called. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Good memories. But yeah, Sean, Sean came in the, the subway one day and Raymond was up training and he says, um, if you want to come up and see, like, you can turn professional or whatever. And I went up and sparred and I went, actually went up first day and I looked over and goes, you all right to go and do a couple of rounds? I want to try and impress here. Okay, no worries. They pointed over at Lavon, Kachama Chapa, or whatever, I forget his name. Oh, no. He looked at him and I was like, I'm, I'm like an... And I don't know, he's a penny maker somewhere. I'm like, are we sick and sick? Well, I'll go down and run, run for three rounds in the room press, and that's where it all started. That guy is one of the most dangerous people I've ever seen up close. I'm, I'm absolutely shocked he didn't win a world title. Um, you know, I saw him I saw him fighting at a high level, and he was defeated, obviously, at that, at that level. But I was convinced back in the day when you were making your start, and he was boxing alongside you and Willie Casey and the Guineas and all the boys, I was like... I would have put I would have put the mortgage on it. Levan's going to win a world title. He was an animal. Oh, he was an absolute beast. He was just so strong, so strong, and he's no messing about. You know, you tell messing about with gender, telling a few jokes, you know, whatever. No, he's no time for that. Just strictly working. That's it. You know, he was a good guy to be around. He was also a good guy to learn off. So, from the start, of your professional career, like you had a fast start, you had a lot of potential. Very obviously, um. You know, the stories of your cl- talent and class from the amateur days, they were kind of spreading around your ability to punch. Um, the old Irish Boxing Writers Association, we made you the uh, the prospect of the year in 2013. But I'm looking back over some of my old records from the time, and it's like there's more stories in my email, like stuff that I'd be sending to the desk, of Kakachas had a fight cancelled than Kakachas won a fight. Yeah. So it from the start, it was difficult. And I suppose that was the Irish boxing scene at the time. There was a lot of cancellations, a lot of shows falling through. Difficult yeah. opponents, and it must have been a pain from the very get go. It was, it was uh, actually. I think I, I had six fights in my first year. I thought, like you know, I, I think I, I was one of the busiest in Ireland and all that. And I was flying, flying, fighting all the time. And then all of a sudden, things went a bit stale. There was a bit of problems with Emerald Promotions, and then you know the McGuigans and all came into things. So it was just it was just for me i was i'm always looking for the perfect scenario like i always want to be looked after i don't want to be i don't want to be someone you know just i don't want someone to be using me and telling me what to do no i want to be in control of my my life and my boxing so i've always felt that way i've always went looking and searching for things that maybe aren't there but i'm happy i'm so happy where i am now it's i feel like it's all just came yeah, along along the way you had a detour. You went, you ended up in Philadelphia with the Green Blood organization. That oh. was gas. I remember there was a big press conference held in Dublin. Held in Dublin, it was it was all about this the capture of John John Evan. You know, Olympic hero. It had gone, I think, a bit tits up. He'd signed with Amir Khan Promotions, which was a ridiculous move. That didn't work out. He ended up linking up with uh, Green Blood, and you were there as well. I remember we were chatting. I think, and um, over to Philadelphia you went. You and was. The Guineas or the Ray Guinea went with you as well. And you're working with a guy, Tom Moore, and Cassie Muma was over there. I'd say it was unusual, but a bit of crack as well. And a very difficult place to learn your trade, but probably beneficial too. 
Yeah. Oh, it was a funky time. It was a real funky time. I mean, I just couldn't. At that, at that stage, I Emerald Promotions were kind of, you know, folding a wee bit. And um, I didn't, they offered me to go to Philadelphia. Uh, I tell you, at that, at that time, I was obviously just starting out pro. I just bought a wee caravan and you know, for the kids and whatever else, for the chair at the time. And um, he says, I can't go to, to, they asked me, they brought me over to London. Anthony, please, can you go to Philadelphia? Um, we need you over there and whatever else. And I says, listen, I, I, I just can't, I can't go. I've got commitments at home of, of a chair and I'll just bought a caravan. And the guy, Mark Abbott at the time, says to me, well, how can we fix this? And I says, well, pay for my caravan. <laughs> I can't go. I'm in debt. And uh, I told him he'd pay for my caravan the next day, and I flew off. And This sounds like the plot of Snatches, <laughs> almost. <laughs> I, was, I was stuck in, you know, was I, was I going to turn down Philadelphia because I bought a, a, a caravan? Yeah. No, I'll just try and find a solution, you know? So, I don't like caravan. How much did the caravan cost? Five grand. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a wee cheap one there, like, but I mean, yeah, so we went to Philadelphia and uh, it, it actually was a, when I was there, I would say I was a wee bit more, I would be miserable because I was missing home. I was, I'm a home bird, you know, I'm dead anxious, just wanted to go home. And, um, but looking back, it was a great time. I know I didn't get much fights and all, but it was a great experience. You know, Tom Moran and what's his name? The big, the big heavyweight that was looking after us. Tim Witherspoon was there, wasn't he? And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So like you were around all these famous people as well. So it was nice. Did you get stuck in the uh, the order of Hibernians thing that they were they had set up on the side as a way to attract the uh, the A-O. old Irish the the AOH? Yeah, John Joe Nevins in it now at the moment. Yeah, yeah, it's like uh it's uh, that's a funny one, you know. I don't want to say anything bad about it, like, but it's just a, it's like a bunch of like American Irish descendants or something, I don't know, from third generation or fourth generation, you know, and they're all and singing Irish Irish rebel songs and tribe colours flying everywhere. You know, you have to represent the AOH. <laughs> it's a funny one, it's like a cult, but sure. So which shoulder did you get the AOH tattoo on left or right? Guy, right? Guy, I wasn't that committed. I wasn't that committed. You were, um, were you, were you guys playing sparring each other? I know some of the spars that you got over there were, were incredible. Like, uh, I know Tyrone McKenna sparred Matt Carabob. I think he went down to Florida to get him ready for Andy Lee. Uh, and you, you were in with Boots Ennis, who's like one of the rising prospects in world boxing right now, could end up being the pound for pound number one in, in uh, mm-hmm. in good time. What yeah. was he like? Only a kid yeah. then, wasn't he? I say, uh, I was sparring him a couple of times, and to be honest, he just boxed the head clean off me, and I didn't let go of him. But I tried. That <laughs> <laughs> well, was a good. It was a good experience. I mean, he he's, he's been he was a lot bigger than me, even as a child. So uh, he, he is he is so talented, and, and if he doesn't want to work title, it would be a be a massive shock. And but Tyrone Tyrone sparred with Boots. And I was actually, was, at the time, it was a crack on me spar too. And Tyrone also sparred with, what, the guy Julian? J-Rock, Julian Williams. Yeah, yeah, Tyrone sparred J-Rock as well. So, Jesus, the, the talent that was there was, was insane. insane. Yeah. But uh, ultimately, you didn't, it didn't work out with him. But you came home and um, 
obviously the biggest star in Irish boxing and one of the rising stars in British boxing was Carl Frampton. And he had that link up with the McGuigans and uh, you ended up just getting in at probably the right time because, you know, like Frampton was just about to become world champion and you ended up signing for Barry and Shane McGuigan. And uh, how did that go for you? Well, well, what happened, the story behind this is that I was, I went into the town. I was with my mum at the time. My mum done all the talking for me because I can't talk business. <laughs> so I brought her in the town with me and I was meeting uh, Mark Ablett, you know, the Emerald Promotions town, and, you know, things were going there. Well, I'm going to have to, you're going to have to try and get something for me. And as I walk across to the building, I'm meeting Mark Ablett. I bump into Barry McGuigan and Jake McGuigan. And I start chatting away in the next minute. And about two weeks later, I was over there, chilling away with Rampton and the boys. So it was, a, it was a great experience. I mean, as for my my, my year and a half that I spent with Wiggins, I can't say the same. But, I mean, at the time, it was a great opportunity and it was, it was nice. Yeah, you did manage to get the fight on the Titanic Centre, to the world title shot for Frampton against... Kiko Martinez, who somehow is magnificently still on the go, knocking out people. But um, I did, I did. I think I fought at I fought at five o'clock that day. But um, yeah, it was still, it was still that will go down history. And I was on that card, so it's nice. Frampton had a huge impact on Belfast boxing, didn't he? Like, I guess Belfast has always had big names and big stars. Like, I could go back, you know, really far in history, as back as far as Rinty Monaghan. Yeah. And uh, producer Simon is probably going, oh, Kev, don't, don't, don't be doing this against me. But even in mo- more recent history, you look from kind of like Martin Rogan all the way up through Paul McCluskey headlined a good few times in Belfast. I know Paul McCluskey's a dairyman, but those, those boys traveled. Yeah. Um, Frampton, and then he, he, you know, ushered in kind of Burnett, Conlon. Now um, we've even seen Kevin Nagyarko sign for Matchroom, and he looks like he's going to maybe be based in Belfast and have some big nights well, what, what do you have to do to establish yourself as, you know, a Belfast attraction in your own right? During the intro, I said that you're a modest person and, you know, that sort of limelight necessarily isn't for you. But what do you have to do or do, do you ever feel a pressure to do that? And have managers or promoters in the past ever said, Anto, I know you don't really fancy this, but you're going to have to get out there and start slabbering, I guess, for want of a better word. Yeah, that, that's happened. Yeah, <laughs> we've had that discussion and whatever else. It's just like I, I, I would um I'm not gonna be what other people want me to be. Like I am who I am. It's like it is who it is. Like I will fake anyone, like as long as things are right. Anyone, it doesn't matter. I don't feel the need to call them out. Like oh, I have a on. I called out John O'Carroll, I called out Sharp many times. Nothing comes from it, you know, it's a business. At the end of the day, these guys, I would fake any of them. In the morning, you know, it's no problem. But they don't they don't have the same outlook as I have. But again, I, I'm looking at this as, as a sport, which it's not. No, it's business, isn't it? Um, like, there's another quote you gave this year, and it's it's one of, the, one of the best quotes of the year, especially I saw, given the, uh, what's that? I saw the little spat that Devin Haney had with uh, Teofimo Lopez. And Lopez was saying, I'm far more relevant than you. Like, in fairness, I, I'm the undisputed world champion. And Haney said, but I've got more followers than you. And it was <laughs> absolutely I'm more relevant because more people follow me on Instagram or whatever. And I was yeah, kind of yeah. going, you're cringing through your skin, you know. Um, 
Yeah. See, see me. I, I can't hide that cringe reflex. See me, and I cringe. I cringe badly, and, and you can see it. <laughs> so I just don't do that shit. But yeah, that follower business. I mean, don't get me wrong. Would I like to have more followers? Of course, because essentially, what followers are uh, and fans is money. You know, because they come and they buy their tickets to your fight, you know, and, and, and they support you. They also share stuff, get your name out there. Yes, it's nice, but I'm not going to be someone I'm not for the, the, to get more followers. But it is how it is. I will say, I'll fight any of them. I'll continue to the odd we call out on, on Twitter, but I'm not going to. As far as, you know, being one of these dickheads, I'm not doing it. <laughs> As regards, uh, no, you're dead, right? And, and the quote, I said, I mentioned that by saying you gave one of the quotes of the year, but you said, and I'll read it out, I won't do a Belfast accent. <laughs> My <laughs> Belfast accent is class. <laughs> Most of these kids have more followers. <laughs> Most of these kids have more followers than me, and the reason is because they talk utter shite. And that's all right, but I don't want to talk utter shite. I'm just a fighter, and I always have been a fighter, and I like to fight. Pretty simple. And that's... And that's the- that's just the way it is. That's just the way it is. It's, there's no, there's no back doors with me. I'll just tell you how it is. It's like I don't do much podcast. I'm not. I, I wouldn't really consider myself a great speaker or a talker in front of the camera. But I'm doing all right. Yeah, yeah. I'll give you another quote, and it was, um, it's like from the esteemed Belfast boxing writer David Kelly, who's covered a great deal of your career. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, Dave's a lovely fella, and uh, you know he's been around for a long time and has covered all of the great Belfast boxers and from further afield as well. What he, he wrote a sentence about you, uh, which I don't know if it hit home or I don't know how you, how you take it, but I'm sure you take it as kind of maybe constructive criticism. And he wrote that in weighing up the ratio between natural ability and success, Anthony Kakacha currently has the unwanted tag of most unfulfilled Irish boxing talent since Eamon McGee 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. How does that make you feel? I'm a wee bit sick, to be honest. But at the same time, it's uh, I cannot say it's it's not true. Like uh, I mean, yeah, yeah, bit in the mountain, but it is what it is, isn't it? But like I mean, David's right. It's not it's not a, an incorrect statement. But it, it's correct. I but, guess um, on the flip side, I wasn't sure how you how you take you know the quote being read to you, but I guess on the flip side is you're 32, um, you've taken very little punishment. And like, I, I think further in the interview, because you get the chance in that interview to rebuke him. And you do say, look, I haven't, I've only had 20 fights. I haven't had to boil myself down. I haven't been hit that much. I'm 32. And I guess you're in a run of great form. You know, when you beat Matt Bo- uh, Bowen to win the British title, you beat him as an underdog. That was two years ago now. And you've since, you know, followed up with a win against Woodstock. Um, those were good nights in your career, particularly Bowen. That was a tremendous performance. Oh, that oh it was uh, see the feeling that I got from from that win is like nothing, like nothing I've ever felt before. Just like the biggest relief I've ever had in my whole entire life, ever. Like I promised my, I had a wee a wee niece. I've spoke about it before. A wee nephew, sorry, um, who died at birth. You know, it was a bit affected me. You know, it was my wee sister who I'm very close to. I promised him before two months, he, he died two months before the Martin J. Ward fight. I promised him that I wasn't going to win that fight and I didn't, you know, and I, and I didn't even, I didn't even fight. Like, I don't know what the, what the fuck I've done. Like, you know what I mean? I look back at it and, I, and sometimes I could nearly, I could nearly vomit watching it. It's one of them things that's, but I was just so happy 
I felt like I, I don't, I done what I promised I'd do, and I won the British title, and that's just a big relief. I was the nicest feeling I ever had in my life. That's kind of incredible. Did you visit? Uh, did you visit him afterwards? Did you talk to him afterwards? Like, did, yeah, I did yeah, yeah. Talking every night. It's it's one of those things. It's, uh, I'm not a, a massive religious person. Like a saint of prayers at night. You know, that's that's as far as it goes. I don't even go to church. But uh, I, I talked to him every night, and, and I felt I felt in the ring that night something that I never felt before in my whole life. That's uh, you put yourself under a lot of pressure to make a promise like that. It can be motivational, but it can really be a it can really make things tough. Don't need the, the complete opposite. I need to go in and not Martin Ward out and I went in the train and, and have a safe run, which at a safe, I'd never, I'm not even a safe call. So bought safe call for 12 rounds. I still thought I won the fight, but I mean, it depends what, when, what you, people define. Like, you got to snatch this take away from the champ. Argentina and TV had me 11 rounds to one up. <laughs> you know, uh, I lost the fight, but. It's one of them things. Yeah, I remember at the time I actually had no idea who'd won. Um, because it in, in the I'm classic sure. the classic boxing cliche, it's one of those, you know, which do you prefer? Uh and definitely could make a case for both guys, both guys to yeah, win. Yeah, you could have, you could have. Yeah. But I, and, but, and when you did win the title, Owen gave you everything. How did you feel as a as a Belfast guy, as an Irishman, to become British champion? How does how does that sit with you? Uh, as in like the Catholic and Protestant kind of thing. No, just I suppose you're an Irish fighter, but you're the champion of Britain, of British boxing. But like there's been many, many an Irishman who's won a British title before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm an Irishman and whatever else, I'm Catholic, but it still makes me feel fantastic. Fantastic. British champion. See if I was a champion of friggin' Kazakhstan, feel the exact same. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm a champion and that's all that matters. <laughs> Uh, another West Belfast man won a British British title a few years ago, and I'd say looking back, we had him on the podcast a few uh, a few months ago. Random. I'd say he probably, uh, you know, guess again, <laughs> uh, huh? A couple of years ago, yeah, guy from the Mac, Martin Lindsay. Martin Lindsay, Martin Lindsay. <laughs> so he won the British title, and as the kind of road was starting to open up from, there was a potential fight with kind of I think it was Mar- Mikey Garcia in an IBF World Title Eliminator. It was kind of there, tantalizing prospect. Yeah. And instead, he took a fight with John Simpson, uh, another British title defense. And he defended it, I think, against the best from England, or he'd won it again. You know, he'd, he'd fought the best from England, Wales, yeah. and now he's fighting the best from Scotland. And it didn't go well for him. So I guess in hindsight, Lindsay probably thinks, I stuck around British title too long. Yeah. How do you feel about it? Do you want to move straight into a world title fight now soon? Yeah, I don't want to defend it. I guess it's, yeah, I don't want to defend the British title again. I, I, I would like to move now in the fights that, you know, either I'm going, the level where I want to be, it's like, you know, if, if I have to go to sleep, I'll go to sleep. But if I'll also be doing the same to the other person. I, I want a fight. I want a real fight. You know, I want to entertain me, the, the fans. I can box. I can fight. I can punch. Just want, I want to be given... Rewarded now. Rewarded is a word we can use. It's just, I feel like I've given my whole life. I've given my whole freaking, you know. I've given everything to boxing and I would like to maybe get something out of it or at least get the chance. And if I don't, if I don't get the chance, it would be disappointing. I think you'll get the chance, I guess, if you play your cards right. Like, I, I, uh, I don't lean too heavily. Poor old David Kelly, I'm, I'm leaning into all his work. But like David Kelly did an interview with Frank Warren a few months ago in which Warren said, you know, 2022 is opening up for a title shot for you. And I guess you look at the world champions, there's uh, 
There's some big names. There's some less so big names like Shakur Stevenson. Obviously, I think Shakur Stevenson is probably the best super featherweight in the world. But then again, Oscar Valdez, see what he did last year to Burchelt. Oh my God. Beast. Serious, serious par. Yeah, but you're 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 then ranked in the uh, the WBA. I think in the last rankings you were number nine, number fourteen with the IBF. That title was vacant. So, you know who? Wh- where are you looking and who are you looking at? Uh, what's your dream scenario? What's Anthony Kakacha's dream scenario here? My dream scenario, mm. like my perfect fit would be John O'Carroll in Belfast, or in Dublin, or wherever the uh, just in Ireland where we can get a good crowd. Uh, you know, it would be a great all Irish dust up. And I guarantee it, I guarantee it that I win. I guarantee it. And I'm not even being cocky here. It's just something that, see, see the, the Alexa Woodstock fight, it would be something like that. John was, all, John was all different to Woodstock, though, surely. I would just be coming all night long. Southpaw, Southpaw, walking on with him all night. But I, I really do give John, was perhaps he's a good fighter. He's a tough fighter. He, he's, uh, he knows what he wants. Um, well, that's a nice fight here, but dream will go way out of the way out of the out of bounds, you know. Stevenson in Vegas. Let's get it going. Or whoever in Vegas. The biggest name you can get me. Let's see what we're gonna do. Yeah, because invariably someone like Stevenson is gonna run out of challenges because he makes everybody look bad and he's start, he's starting to add he's starting to add a bit of power. We saw what he did to Jamel Herring. And Herring obviously is a top tough guy, but Stevenson was just way too much for him. So he's going to run out of willing opponents pretty soon, and uh, there's going to be people needed to put the hand up for him. I, I thought I, I have watched Herring before. I thought Herring near enough gave him that. It was uh, the famous world title. He was, I mean, Stevenson was just really doing the basics, like nothing extra special, just keeping them off, keeping them off, hitting them hard, and, and Herring didn't want it. Didn't want. Didn't want that fight. Didn't want that win, didn't want to stay, I believe. But the gentleman and all does just what the way I felt watching that fight, unless he just knew he was getting paid. Well, I guess uh, from what I've heard of speaking and speaking to fighters for many years is that everybody has their limit when they've made enough money and they look at their kids and they say, I love you a lot and I don't want to get hurt. And also when they have their next career set up, they have a media thing. It's usually articulate ones, smart guys, and they've got their next career lined up. Maybe they're going to go working for ESPN or Sky Sports. Those guys lose. Those guys, because they have checked out mentally. And sometimes it can happen. You don't do it on purpose. It just happens. Yeah, yeah it just happens. Like, at the end of the day, you know, his kids have... He's got money in the bank. He's got a nice big house bought. You know, his children, his wife's looked after. He's in a completely different situation than I'm in. You know what I mean? And I, I have, It's easy me saying that he didn't want it, but he has everything that I don't. And, and he's happier in, in his environment, whereas I feel like I've got more to get. Mm. So, so more, more caravans to buy. More Mobile homes, maybe. I more. It would be nightmare. I wouldn't even actually mind the caravan, to be honest. Well, this yeah. do, you not, do, do you not still have the old caravan that uh, that was uh, bought for you as a get-out clause? Uh, I got rid of it. I got rid of it. And then I ended up going to... I ended up in McGuigan's and I got rid of it along the end. The, she was going down with, with the chair and it just wasn't the same for her. So as you move, move up the levels, we've seen, you know, your record, I think you've 19 wins, one loss. Uh, you dispute it, obviously, but, you know, it's, it's there on the record. You've got seven knockout wins. And yet I've been asking boxers for years, who's the biggest puncher in Irish boxing? And I guess one of the most influential people and someone who's been in with many of the, many of the people that are considered in the list is Carl Frampton. And he always says, 
Nobody hits harder than Anthony Kakacha. Lots of his colleagues would back him up. So we've seen seven stoppages in 19 wins. Oftentimes, as people move up the re- as me- people move up the levels, you start to see uh, them going in against more, I guess, positive opponents, and then the knockouts start to come. Do you believe as you move now further into world level that you're going to start kind of taking names, knocking people out? I I, I believe I will. Uh, the higher the higher the opposition, the more chance that I'll not remove. I believe. Uh, I have seven seven knockouts on my record, but like I put my hands up and said it's. It's through laziness, through not training hard enough. That's true. <laughs> like I'm, I'm, that's just the truth. Like, what's the point in telling shit? Like, of me being just so like laid back and thinking that I don't have to train to fight these guys, and I would beat them with two days training, and that's just a stupid way of looking at it. My whole mindset has changed from then, but it has only changed the last couple of years. Well, it's a big downfall. It's not. I, I should have been pushing and hurting these people. I know when I hit them, they don't want it, but it's more stepping it up. And then when you step it up, you get tired. So you've got to be careful. So it was always in the back of my head. And I, I wish I wouldn't have let it get to the back of my head. But what's your what's your secret to knocking someone out? Is it um, setting them up and then throwing a different shot? Or is it, is it something you practice in the gym? Or is it something that just comes naturally and you take your rootless or you have a killer instinct at the time? What's your secret? It just seems, it just for me, it just seems to be when I, when I hit someone clean, you know, I, I can I, I can see it in their eyes, you know, even even with 16 inch gloves on sparring and hair guards, you know, I'm still hurting people and, you know, it just gives me a wee bit of, just setting it up off the jab, off the jab, behind the jab, that's a shot, right hand, right hook. I like the right hook left to the body. Right hook left to the body, yeah. That's it. All right, well, look, Anthony Kakacha. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today on the Rocky Road. It's been fascinating to hear your story and we look forward to seeing a world title fight in 2022. Thank you very much. I appreciate the input and I enjoyed that. That was a lot of fun. Thank you, Anto, again. And uh, cheers to Mickey Hawkins who's helping you there on uh, sound and quality. Yeah, not on computer and not on after things. <laughs> <laughs> the rest of what happens. <laughs> he's, he's the man behind the mat. Well, cheers, lads. Thank you very much. 